In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the world. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Tyron, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Amen. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. <sighs> Wish that was these days. It's a picture of the church that we struggle to recognise in our days. It's not that familiar. But the next verse is, or the next part of that verse is, the Hellenistic Jews complained against the Hebraic Jews. A picture of Christians complaining about one another. Unfortunately, that is incredibly contemporary. The words that are used there are words for, for grumbling, and we can recognize that. In, in fact, the words take us right back into the Old Testament where the people grumbled about Moses, words as old as Moses himself. We'll come back to that in a minute, but I want to stop and pause with that first verse. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. See, one of the things we might notice here is it doesn't say the number of churchgoers was increasing or the number of believers even was increasing, but the number of disciples. It's an interesting word, disciples. The word in Greek is the word mathetai. It's the same word that's used of the folk that went round with Jesus for those three years, the, the 12 and, uh, and others that learned from him. And the word doesn't just mean people who believed something or people who went to church. It, it, it literally means students, learners. Not just intellectual learners, but people who learned from a master in the Jewish tradition, from a rabbi, how to live. The disciples, the Mithitai, would follow the rabbi, learning from him. They would learn from him God's word and how to understand it. But they would also learn from him what it was to live as a man or a woman of the word. Do we long in our day to see the church becoming a place, not just of churchgoers or even believers, but where we are disciples, growing and learning together in what God's word is all about. In fact, if you flick back in the book of Acts chapter 2, you find a lovely picture of that in, in verse 42, where it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. It wasn't just about having a service or going to church. It was about the church being that place where people learned to be disciples. 
I wonder as we put the church back together in the weeks and months ahead, as we begin to to come and be able to gather together when the time is right, that that might be something we ask. Not just how do we put the show back on the road or have the services, but how do we be a place where disciples are grown? We're not going to see other people become disciples if we aren't learning day by day in encouraging one another is contemplating God's word and learning to live together what it means to be disciples of Jesus. Let's go back to the grumbling. Two groups of Christians in the same church, one group feeling hard done by, feeling that they weren't being heard, feeling that they were being marginalised or ignored. We perhaps know that story too many times through the history of the church, even at the current times. Men and women, young and old, often two different type of cultures in one community and one lot feeling just not as important as the other. In the book of Acts, the two different groups were two different groups of Jews. They were mainly divided by their language. The Hellenists, the word comes from the Greek word for Greek, Helen, and it means those who spoke Greek. After the time of Alexander the Great in the third century BC, the whole of the Eastern world had become, in one sense, Greek. If you had education, you learned Greek. If you traveled, you learned Greek. If you had a cosmopolitan outlook on the world, then you would be fluent in Greek. And opposed to that group of Jews, you had another group of Jews, perhaps more rural. Hebrews or Hebraic, they're called here. They spoke Aramaic or Hebrew, and their outlook was a little bit different two groups in one church. And the thing is, the disciples, the apostles, the twelve, they were from Galilee. They would mainly have identified with the Aramaic speakers, the Hebraic group, and they were in charge. New folk coming into the church, they were Jews, but they were a bit different and they were feeling neglected. Tensions in a church were going to be very important. You see, God's plan for that church was that it was to become a model of how divides, and particularly racial divides, were broken down. If they thought it was diverse then with these two groups of Jews, just wait until two chapters later, the Samaritans, their habitual tribal enemy started to join the church and then wait until the message would go out and the pagans and the Gentiles would become part of the church. It would all be quite difficult. So if they couldn't get it right at the beginning, that the word of God would bring groups together in mutual love and care, then they were going to have a problem. And there was more than that. You see, at the heart of what they did was this idea of sharing physical resources. It says in chapter 4, there was no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and gave it to the apostles and it was distributed to to, to everyone who had need. So the idea was that the church wasn't just a place where they said they loved one another, it was a place where they shared, where they looked after one another. And the most vulnerable group economically would be the widows. There was no man in their household to 
care for them, to look after them, which in the sexist economics of the day was a real problem. So here it is, an issue that is very important. This isn't just a tussle about one group likes new hymns and the other group likes old hymns and they want the common cup and we don't, or the things that we tend to squabble about. This goes to some really key issues. Can we be one church, despite the fact we are diverse? And are we really going to care for those who feel neglected, marginalised, disadvantaged? Are we going to meet their needs? Are we going to share with them? This is important stuff. The church was supposed to be a model of how, if you live the gospel, you live differently. That the whole of society, Roman and Jewish, would look in and see, in this, in Christ, there isn't Jew and Greek and Gentile and all the rest of it, but one people. So this was vital stuff. The disciples saw the problem immediately. And their solution? Well, it's another solution that we would recognise today. They said, uh, let's form a committee. Only the committee that they were going to form wasn't a talk shop to go off and do a study and report back. It was an action group. Pick seven folk, the disciples said. Good folk. People who get God's Holy Spirit. People who are dedicated and enthusiastic and trust them. Give them this responsibility. There's a lot we can learn from this for ourselves. Talk, talk, which churches are good at, Presbyterians are particularly good at, isn't enough. We need to find people and empower them, enable them to get on with the things that need to be done. And we need to trust them. One of the problems that we've sometimes had as a church is that we set up a committee and we expect it to go off and decide what needs to be done and then report back and everybody will have a conversation about whether they think that's right or wrong. And the committee is left feeling, well, what did we do all that for if everyone's going to talk it down and talk it to death? But rather, here's another model. Pick some folk, trustworthy folk, and give them the responsibility, enable them to go off and do something different to make things happen. Again, it, it goes right back to the heart of the Old Testament. In the book of Numbers, Moses had people complaining about food, would you believe? Same, same, the same issues. And Moses was told by God, you, you can't do this all yourself. Pick 70 people, not seven, but 70, and entrust them to share the burden of leadership, to be involved in all that needs done. So a good model for delegation and enabling, and that's the sort of church we want to be. But actually, it was more than that. If you look at the, the list of the names that were chosen, Stephen, Philip, Procreus, Nicor, Timur, Parsimus, Nicholas, two of them will learn a bit more about later as we go through Acts. The others don't appear again. But there's something significant about these names that the original hearers would have known right away, and that is this. They're all Greek. These are all Jews who spoke Greek, whose names were in Greek. They deliberately chose people from the group that felt neglected and put them in charge. It wasn't just that the disciples were saying, let's solve a, a, a difficult problem by getting a bunch of folk who are good administrators together. We're not very good at that. It was actually also about saying to the group of Jews that felt marginalised in the church, 
you are important. We will make leaders of your people, that your voices might be heard, that you might be affirmed, that you might know that people like you have a role in this church and a responsibility and are trusted in this church. In our day, when we hear about marginalised folk, I think we need to pay attention to that principle. It's not going to be enough just to make sure we do things fairly. It's also going to be important to listen and affirm and support. Black Lives Matter at the moment, I think one of the things that we're going to have to learn as a church is to listen to voices within the church that are different from ours. How are they feeling about all of this? As we talk about a church which avoids sexism, it's really important that we hear the voices of women, particularly those who have felt very often marginalised in what can be a very male-centred organisation. It's important not just that we are fair, but that we make sure and we listen and we affirm that everybody knows that they have a part in God's work. So we have a problem. And we have a solution. And we have a plan. And here's the plan. We get seven folk together. We give them this responsibility. They get on and they share the food out fairly that all the widows get enough. Did it work? Well, here's the really interesting and the really infuriating thing about this passage in Acts. We don't know. We're told these seven people were appointed. They were given this job and then it doesn't get mentioned again. I actually suspect it didn't work. Here's the thing. One of those seven men was Stephen. And if you keep reading chapter 6, you find that Stephen immediately, he's given this job, is off preaching. And as he's preaching, there's opposition. And more opposition. Until by the end of chapter 7, the crowd has taken Stephen and they've stoned him to death. Now think how frustrating that is for the disciples. Here they are, they've appointed a new committee of seven people and two minutes later there's a vacancy because one of them's dead. And then something else happens at the beginning of chapter 8. The persecution that starts with the stoning of Stephen is so bad that the entire church has to scatter. It can't meet together anymore. All its institutions and its ways of doing things and its carefully worked out plans, they've all gone. Does that maybe sound a little familiar to us in our days? We make our plans, we get our principles right, and then sometimes God allows something to happen that just seems to take the whole thing right out of our hands. As I say, I can identify with that as I came to this charge as a new charge, as getting to know folk. I had all this strategy about how I was going to do it, how I was going to engage, how I was going to visit, how I was going to meet people, how I was going to work out what the next stages were. And suddenly, coronavirus. And all the plans get thrown up in the air. Of course, it's not quite as simple as that. The persecution that we will see that scattered the church resulted in something else. Go and read the next few chapters. Because through that scattering, God took his word to the Samaritans through Philip, one of the seven. And suddenly God's word began to grow and expand in new ways that the church didn't just become a group of people sitting in Jerusalem wondering how to run church. But they became a people who went out into the world. I wonder 
in our day as God has thrown up all our plans and disrupted everything that we thought we had, that we're also being given an opportunity to think what it is that he wants us to do. That we're not just the folk who do services in a building and invite people to come and join us, but we're maybe people again who work out what it is to be disciples, work out what it is to be church and start to hear what God is doing in our day in this stage. But sometimes that means taking the plans that we'd spent ages making and realising that God is bigger even than those. As we said, the issues in this passage are, are really big. What's at stake is the unity of the church and justice for the poorest and the most vulnerable. If you read the Bible at all, you realise that those are really important thing, themes. If you read the book of Acts, you'll discover that Luke has a real heart as he's telling his story, both for the unity of the church and for justice and for caring for the most vulnerable. And yet we've got this strange expression. Verse 2 of chapter 6. The apostles say, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of word of God to wait on tables. Wait on tables. It's almost dismissive. This feeding widows is just waiting on tables. It's sort of not important work. We should be doing something more vital. What's going on here? Well, as I said, I don't think the Bible is saying this isn't important. Rather, it's saying something else. That putting the word of God at the centre of the church, at putting preaching and hearing and learning and sharing and growing and becoming disciples is so important that even something as vital as caring for the poor and keeping the church united must be seen as second. Not so important, not allowed to become a distraction. I know in the church it's always a danger that somehow in doing a whole load of really important things, the key thing gets forgotten. That we are there to learn, to grow, to understand more about how we live our lives for Jesus, about how we run our church for Jesus, about what God's word says to us in every situation. And so what the disciples said, this is really key, but as we organise our church and we delegate our tasks, we have to keep the preaching, the learning, the teaching of the word of God at the heart of it. As we again put our church together, as we think about youth work and buildings and services and music and structures and finances, these are all really important things that many of you serve in and that is so, so vital. And yet this question, how do we centre all of that on God's word? That what we listen to and what is preached, what is taught, what is taken in, what is discussed, informs every aspect of what we do and how we live. My role in the church is to be the minister of word and sacrament. I'm not the only person that's allowed to preach. I'm not the only person that's allowed to teach. We have all sorts of folk doing that. Never forget that the people who are teaching the most vulnerable at the earliest age are our Sunday school teachers. That is a ministry of the word. But my particular job 
is to be the minister of word and sacrament. One of the questions I'll need to ask as we work out this church is how do I make sure that that's my main thing and I don't get distracted in a hundred and one other things that other people might be able to do. It's a challenge though to every one of us. How do we make our church a church that's focused on these central things? Verse 4 says this, the apostles say we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. It's interesting that it wasn't just the apostles that did that. In fact, as we've said, two of the seven, Philip and Stephen, both went on to have really quite open and upfront ministries of the word as they preached and evangelized and took God's word forward. And many of you will have those tasks as well as we build our church up together. I just love the fact that scripture sometimes has so much in just a few verses, seven verses that we've looked at this morning. And, and as we've read them together, we might have thought, well, there's just a nice little story. But look at the things that we've learned. To be disciples, not just churchgoers. If we did that, it would revolutionize everything. To recognize that the church will always have problems, but our task is to think with the mind of Scripture and the Holy Spirit and to work them through together. To be a people who don't grumble and complain, but actually when there is injustice or unfairness or people feeling excluded, we go out of our way, not just to care for them, but to affirm them. To be a community that does put the poorest, the economically vulnerable, right at the heart of what we do, where there isn't need because we are sharing people. To find ways to affirm and include and involve all people in the tasks that we do and in our leadership. And at the same time, to be a people who hold loosely to our structures, our ways of doing things, even our new plans, because we're always aware that God is sovereign and he is working his will. Our job? To keep our obedience to his word right at the centre of what we do, to rejoice in it. And to let it shape how we care and we love and we are together. Verse 7 says the word of God spread and the number of disciples increased. There's a prayer for us as we think about the future of our church together. Let the word of God spread and the number of disciples increase. And may I be one of those who are eager to learn as a disciple and may you be too and may God bless our fellowship together. Amen.